0: Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Who are you under there?
1: What are you hiding? My son dreamt of a better world. That's why he saved me. You can go to any timeline, any universe. I fight like to save this one.
0: What well, could be greater than a king? A hero. I just got goosebumps. If we don't stand up, no one will. Come with us. There's a glorious world out there, waiting for you.
1: Are you in? Are you in? Perfect question to ask this week as we tie a bow on the package that has been our special summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles. What our favorite movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setbacks and failures. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. This week, Warwick and I discuss five key learnings from the eight episodes that have comprised the series, spotlighting such highlights as Captain America's oft-repeated mantra of I could do this all day as he faces challenges to John McClane's never losing his sense of humor as he encounters an endless barrage of crucibles in Die Hard. We add into our conversational mix additional stories that spotlight the takeaways from the series with some examples from prior podcast guests and our own experiences. It all adds up to a discussion we hope is as rousing and inspirational as that clip we played at the top, focused on the superhero films already released or coming soon from DC Films this year. We're in and we hope you are we did eight episodes in Lights Camera Crucibles of eight movies featuring heroes. Just to run through them, they were superheroes, action heroes, and sports heroes. Let's see if I can if I can recall all eight. Warwick, there was Spider Man. <laughs> there was Captain America. they're here. There was. Iron Man, there was The Natural, Roy Hobbs, there was Robin Hood, there was Batman, there was Die Hard, John McClane, and there's one more that was eight, there was, I'm missing one that is falling what, out of my brain.
0: Was that, uh, have you really got Hoosiers?
1: Hoosiers, that was the last one we did, you think I'd remember that, so yes, <laughs> Hoosiers, and Norman Dale, the coach in Hoosiers, uh, who's a great redemption story. So those are the are the folks that we that we tugged on for insights and equipping you, listener, for how to overcome crucibles. And there were a, a bunch of lessons, and we're going to hit on some of those here. But before we get into the to the nitty gritty, the meat and potatoes of this Warwick, um, one of the things we both said during the series was that. These are all movies that we love. These are all movies that we've seen more than one time um, in most cases. And, and yet watching them with this lens on for Beyond the Crucible made them richer, right, than they had been before. Just watching them as popcorn entertainment, right? Having some some chuckles while you're watching the, the movie. Watching them to pull out actionable lessons for how to move beyond a crucible and lead a life of significance. These movies came alive in, in, in fresh ways, didn't they?
0: They really did, Gary. I mean, typically, when, as you say, when you watch a movie, it's to be entertained. You don't watch Iron Man saying, what are the leadership and life lessons that can help me lead and be a better human being? Or, you know, whether it's The Natural and Roy Hobbs or Robin Hood. And so watching all these movies and just trying to understand what are the sort of drops of redemption, the uh, lessons learned, uh, you know, the character uh, of, you know, growth in, in all of these heroes. It was really instructive. There's a lot of lessons. And, you know, wh- when you look look at movies with superheroes, it's easy to think, oh, what can I learn from a superhero because I'm not a superhero. Right, right. But often the lessons we learn is how they dealt with human emotions with loss, with you know their own agenda and aggrandizement versus serving others. So th- these are all lessons that all of us can learn. So yeah, it was really fun looking at it through a different lens.
1: Yeah. And, and it's interesting. One of the things that never came to me until right now when you said that through any of the eight episodes that we've done before this one, this wrap-up one, was uh, for superheroes in particular, most of them have quote unquote secret identities, right? There's what the public knows of them on one sense as the individual and then as the hero. And that's sometimes our stories too, right? We have inner lives that maybe other people don't know about, and that can be in itself a challenge to navigate as we're walking through a crucible. People expect perhaps we're going to react in a certain way because they don't quite know our secret identity, what's what's uh, you know roiling around in our heart. Is that fair that sometimes what makes crucibles difficult is that what we project to the world may not be how we're living inside?
0: Yeah, that is always one of the challenges, you know, we might be, uh, seem to be, you know, confident, outgoing, we've got it all together and inside we're broken or in bad cases dying inside. And um, so, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thought that a lot of these superheroes have secret identities and we might have a secret identity inside. The secret identity might be, I feel like a loser. I'm messed up. I'm broken you shouldn't love me. You shouldn't care for me if you had any common sense. And so, yeah, I think we all need to deal with the inside because the inside, the negative self-talk mm-hmm. can damage our ability to lead, can damage our ability to live. So uh yeah, the, the inner demons, the inner conversations we need to deal with certainly. And most of these superheroes have inner demons, have inner challenges. It's, it's hard to think of anyone, any superhero that doesn't. Have, uh, right. have inner challenges, and,
1: and not just the superheroes that we talked about, right? But also the other heroes, right? Who's talk about inner demons, talk about problems. Norman Dale, the coach in Hoosiers, right? His his this sort of hidden thing where he he assaulted one of his players in college and got banned from the NCAA. Um, John McClain, who's just has troubles with his wife and his family's fallen apart. There are things going on in life that. I've I've heard you. If I've heard you say it once, I've heard you say it a hundred times. We have to do the soul work that is required of bouncing back from a crucible, as well as some of the some of the practical work. So that it, it's fascinating to me that nine. This is the ninth time we've talked about movie heroes, and that just popped up into my head. Is that something else that we have to that we have to learn from this? Yeah, this process that we can't always keep our our secret identity secret, right?
0: Absolutely, I think we can't help others until we help ourselves. You know, mm, I think yep. in the faith based world they talk about evangelism begins at home. It's like you know, you got to preach to yourself before you even contemplate preaching to others. And so, you know, getting beyond a crucible, uh, which is the title of this podcast typically means doing a lot of soul work. Until you deal with your inner demons, your inner issues, you won't be able to help anybody because you'll be too, you'll be weighed down. It's like trying to uh, run a marathon with five tons on your back. You won't get very far. You will just stop on your tracks. Uh, So yeah, for all those people out there, there are a lot, I'm a very reflective person, but a lot of people are It's like, I don't want to do all this inner, inner stuff. I'm too busy. I want to help a bunch of other people. <laughs> you want to help other people? You need to help yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to help anybody. So, you know, that should motivate even those non-reflective people out there.
1: Amen. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's one of the great things about this series has been the 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 things that come to our minds as we're talking through this. That was a point that we had not planned to make and look at that, we made uh that point. But listener, you may be wondering in a fuller sense, why did we spend eight weeks? Why did Beyond the Crucible spend eight weeks talking about movie heroes, superheroes, sports heroes, and action heroes? And just to level set us as we get going and um, talk about uh, what we're we're calling five ways to transform into a crucible busting hero. That's the theme of, of of the episode today. But before we get there, we're going to do a little crop dusting here with just some ideas about why we're talking about heroes at all. And we're going to revisit something we talked about in the first episode, not in depth, but just to give you an idea of why we chose these types of movie characters. And that comes from a Psychology Today article uh, about how heroes can improve our lives. What is it about heroes that improves our lives? And the first point of that article was that they produce in us an emotion called elevation. Uh, And it goes back to an article in 2014, which says that research suggests heroes and heroic action evoke a unique emotional response that scientists have labeled elevation. Thomas Jefferson used to talk about this as the way people felt moral elevation when they read great uh, literature. How do heroes elevate us in that sense? Work. How do you think that that plays out?
0: I think heroes. They kind of sweep us along in this sort of tide of, uh, I don't know if it's euphoria or encouragement. They really just. Um, they really just lift us up. They. Uh, they kind of uh, inspire us. They make us think. That's who I want to be. That kind of save the day, help people. They appeal to our better angels. Whether you know, you've obviously got Spider-Man who um, you know rescues Mary Jane as he defeats the Green Goblin. You know, Batman uh, obviously in the in the movie that we looked at uh, saves Gotham City from uh, the Joker is terrorizing everybody, and obviously uh, poor John McClane is going out to the coast <laughs> to have some fun with uh, his wife. And have a, few laughs. Uh, yeah. have a few laughs and ends up, um, you know, having to combat terrorists in Nakatomi Plaza. So, you know, with all of these, we tend to see ourselves in the role of hero in the sense of, you know, I'd like to be the one to save the day, even in a small way to kind of do something good for my family, friends, co-workers, you know, I'd like to do something right for a change. So there is the sense that it, it elevates ourselves, it elevates the sights and how we look at ourselves. So um, yeah, I think the you know, heroic movies can have a really great effect on us.
1: Yeah, and it it's kind of like the clip that we played at the beginning of the show um, which is the trailer for 2022 from from DC Films, uh, the people who do Batman, Aquaman, The Flash. Um, this idea that uh, the world needs heroes, right? There, there's a sense of awe when you encounter heroes, um, when you see that what heroes do. That just can't help make you feel elevated, you know, can't help but make you stand up and cheer. And that's an important thing for us, especially as we're battling a crucible, is to just have this sense of having your spirits lifted. So that's the first point of why we dug deeply into heroes um, for this series. Second one is that heroes can heal our psychic wounds. I thought this was fascinating, um, that this article in Psychology Today talked about how in ancient cultures tribe members huddled around a big campfire together at the end of the day. Then they gathered for warmth because they didn't have heat, <laughs> right? In in their in their in their caves. Uh, but they gathered for warmth, but they also did something else. They told stories. The physical warmth of huddling together was life-saving, but in some ways life enriching the stories that they told. It made life more attractive, easier to sort of get through. It inspired them. Again, going back to the first point, there was awe in those stories. There was exhilaration. There was elevation in those stories. That worked out again in what we talked about here. And 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 the and the films that we address on this show, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cultures for thousands and thousands of years have have talked about heroes. I don't think there's ever been a culture in the history of the world that doesn't have heroes. That you know, people will gather around the campfire telling stories. Obviously, one that we've spoken about is Robin Hood, that goes back to I don't know, eleven, twelve hundreds, and. People have been telling stories about Robin Hood that is a, a mythic person, and the stories have changed. From uh, originally, Robin Hood was Robin Longstride, a you know common man, a common yeoman. Then later, a few hundred years later, it became uh, a, no, a Saxon noble that was oppressed by you know the Normans that controlled England at the time. But you know, Robin Hood has been around for hundreds of years as this guy that would uh, defend the defenseless, the oppressed, the poor, the common man, the common woman against the tyranny of Prince John and his henchmen. So there is something about just telling stories of heroic figures. It just touches us. I mean, it, I think back to the ancient Greek heroes of uh, uh, Odysseus um, and the Trojan Wars taken 10 years to get back from uh, Troy to uh, his native Greece, and Achilles, and Agamemnon, all of these great heroes. Uh, I mean, Greeks have been telling stories about the ancient Greek a- and heroes for thousands of years. So it's it's a part of our culture, part of every culture of just telling stories of heroes. And it's just, it's healing, it's soothing. Uh, we all love doing it.
1: Our third point from this Psychology Today article, again, which we're not getting into in any depth, we'll just kind of Doing a drive-by with it, but he, the third point is heroes nourish our connections with other people. Uh, storytelling, the article says, is a community-building activity. The sense of connectivity it builds is critical to human emotional well-being. Hero stories create a strong sense of social identity. And I haven't shared this with you, Warwick, because I just got it yesterday. Like by the by yesterday, I mean the day before we're recording this episode. And if you remember, listener and Warwick, when we talked about Iron Man, I made reference to watching that movie and, 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 the, and the funeral of Tony Stark in that film. And I, and I mentioned how my nephew, uh, a young man uh, in his 20s, late 20s, uh, was was so moved by that experience. I, I did not tell him I mentioned him in the podcast, but yesterday he sent this text to me. Listen to what he wrote in light of what I just said. Storytelling is a community-building activity, uh, a sense of connectivity. It's critical to human emotional well-being. This is what my nephew Luke wrote me. You know, every now and again, I will see videos people took in theaters during Avengers Endgame, at the end, when all the Avengers come together and how everyone just loses it. In other words, there are videos going around about everybody crying when all the Avengers come together uh, during Tony Stark's funeral. And my nephew says further, I remember being very depressed at that time and unmotivated to really do or enjoy anything, and that you invited me along opening weekend to see it. I got to experience that. And every time I get to look back at these kinds of videos, I still feel the rush of excitement and how groundbreaking that movie was, and that everyone who enjoyed the MCU got to experience it together. It's one of my most treasured memories. That is the power of social connection, the power of emotional connectivity that can come from hero movies, right?
0: It it really can. I think in Heroes in general, it's funny, just as you were saying that, talking about your nephew, the way that my father and I connected was through stories about heroes. That was the language that he communicated love to me. So, we were living in England when I was about, I don't know, six or seven or so. And he read me a book speaking of Greek heroes, like a, I don't know, 1800s book called The Heroes by Charles Kingsley. It talked about Uh, you know, all the Greek heroes, you know, Perseus, Theseus, um, you know, just some different mythical folks. And when I was small, I would say, you know, Daddy, just tell me some history. I didn't care what it was, just some historical story. And he was like an encyclopedia. I mean, he read about every hero. He loved, you know, British heroes in particular. So there'd be stories of you know, Admiral Horatio Nelson and Battle of Trafalgar in 1805 and Duke of Wellington and Waterloo in 1815. So, you know, that's the way we we communicated. And, you know, with these movies, yeah, I mean, you and I obviously, uh, you know, talked about how much we like The Natural and Captain America and Hoosiers, one of the all-time favorite sports movies with, you know, Normandale and that sense of redemption, as you mentioned, after getting banned from uh, from basketball. So yeah, it's you know it's a source of connection when you talk about the heroes that you love. Uh, it's a way of creating you know bonds uh, between father and son, you know, mother and daughter, just uh, brothers, sisters. It's a point of connection.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that text that I just read from my nephew, I mean, that he says going to Avengers Endgame with the family, with 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 my immediate family, um, was, you know, a treasured memory. That text from him is a treasured memory. That's a connection between the two of us. Uh, the fourth point in that article, um, which is the natural progression, right? If we're elevated, if we're uh, in community, if we're feeling connected at the end of the day, then heroes show us how to transform our lives, turning us into heroes ourselves. And, and uh, if you've been with us, um, a listener slash viewer from the beginning, you know, well, if you've been a, if you've watched Beyond the Crucible, you know that I'm not a, a adverse to wearing outfits. And so because it's true that heroes turn us into heroes ourselves, I've worn a hero shirt today that says (laughs) super stepdad. Um, oh, I can't see it behind my microphone, but, awesome. but there it is. That's my. Uh, that was a gift from my stepchildren for Christmas a couple of years ago. So it, uh, you know, these movies do encourage us to become, in some ways, heroes in our own spheres of influence. Um, comparative mythologist Joseph Campbell said in 1988 that all of us undergo a hero-like journey throughout our lives. It's only by having the courage and faith to risk change and growth in our own lives that we reach our own potential. And it's nearly impossible to watch any of these movies that we're discussing and not feel that, right? Not feel that pull to heroism and all different kind of shades of it. It's impossible. It was impossible for us to watch these movies. It's been impossible for all audiences to watch these kinds of movies without feeling the pull to wanting to do that yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, as I mentioned, I grew up just uh, hearing about heroes from my dad and uh, figures in history. And so I would, you know, obviously watch heroic movies, read books about, I don't know, a few uh, English kings and queens, as well as um, American heroes. I've always loved American history. So reading books about, you know, Franklin Roosevelt or Abraham Lincoln, and, uh, and it would inspire me. I mean, just one example. Franklin Roosevelt was somebody that, in one sense, I identified with because you know I grew up as listeners know in a very privileged, 150-year family media business in Australia, and Franklin Roosevelt grew up in a sort of New York State aristocracy, if you will. The Roosevelts were prominent, prominent folks. He transformed his character to being, you know, maybe this fun-loving party guy, man about town. And over time, he became somebody that uh, was concerned about others, becoming one of the great presidents and depression, World War II. So I would look at Franklin Roosevelt, not so much that I I could ever be Franklin Roosevelt, but if somebody from a background like mine, which was wealthy and privileged, could actually focus on others, then maybe I also could transform myself and be focused on helping others, not just about you know money, power, or fame, or what have you. So, yeah, heroes can inspire us to be better than ourselves and transform ourselves.
1: Yeah, and I had not thought about this again until you just said that. But Franklin Roosevelt, in some ways, early in his life, right, was a little Tony Stark early in his life, right? Yes. He was uh, that guy who had everything to live for, but not really much to live with. He was a he was a you know. Pr- no one was as hedonistic as Tony Stark, but it, there were some similar beats there. Uh, you had some of the same background, perhaps, but you maybe channeled that more into Batman, not the dark parts of Batman. But <laughs> Batman was is never really depicted as a playboy, right, as a guy yeah. who spends his money on himself. He's always dedicated to helping others. So that's just kind of a fascinating way of it's, – it, it's interesting how – a lot of the heroes that we talked about, at least a couple of them here, came from uh, means, and yet they went in different directions, kind of starting out, landed in the same place, which is the goal of why we're doing this series, is to get everybody from from the from the origin story to the life of significance at the end. That's what we're hoping to, to bring to you, listener, as we talk about these
0: things. Absolutely. And just a brief point on uh, Roosevelt and Iron Man. Uh, we'll get into this uh, later. You know, Iron Man gets captured by... Uh, folks. And it sort of changes his character in a way from hedonistic to maybe caring for others. Well, the equivalent of that for Franklin Roosevelt, as listeners would know, in the uh, early 20s, he got polio, which was very rare for adults. And uh, back in those days, if you got polio, your political career was over. You were meant to um, stay home. Uh, just It was almost like this Social disease, not just a physical disease. Uh, it was almost shameful, which is ridiculous. It's not your fault, and so we had to fight, fight through that. And you know, both Iron Man and Roosevelt went through different tragedies that transformed their characters. So you know, sometimes real life, uh, you know, R E A L and R E E L can imitate right. each other.
1: Absolutely, that's one of the things that makes movies like that so resonant. Right, is that they they do have their beats in the real life R E A L experience that we that we know of, and sometimes we have ourselves. All right, we're going to pivot now and get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today, and that's just to put a bow on the package that was Lights Camera Crucibles, and that is uh, this idea of here are five ways to transform into a crucible busting hero using examples. From, and we're going to do it interestingly, I think. We're going to do it from R E E L life and also R E A L life. So we're going to touch on, talk about what we learned from the heroes we went through, but then we're going to uh, comb back through the archives of some podcast episodes, tell some personal stories to kind of emphasize, um, put an exclamation point on the points that the heroes teach us. So here's the first of those five ways to transform into a crucible-busting hero that comes out of our series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles. And number one is to develop perseverance. Captain America does a great job of of spotlighting this need. It tells the story of Steve Rogers, who's a slight sickly guy, young man we meet at the outset of the film. Uh, It's during World War II, and he wants desperately to go to war. He wants to fight for America because he he can't stand bullies, and he thinks he sees the Nazis as exactly what they were, bullies. But he gets turned down because he is so small and he is so sickly. Every time, he he actually breaks some rules about going to different recruiting stations trying to get into the war effort. But one of the times he gets rejected, another doctor sees him from the from the shadows. Uh, a guy named Dr. Erskine sees him. He is trying to find a soldier to give this super soldier drug he's developed, which, if it's successful, can then be given to all people in the you know all men in the military, and that's going to help us win the war. What he sees, what Dr. Erskine sees in this Brooklyn kid, is a kindness and humility and a never say die attitude. Um, he refuses to take the military's no for an answer. And that's one of the reasons why Dr. Erskine gives it to him. But we as as viewers, Warwick, see us see a scene with Steve Rogers earlier than that when he gets in a in a fight because he wants to hear the reels at the at the the uh, movie theater that he's at. He wants to hear these news reels talking about the war effort, and these guys are, you know, making a lot of noise while that's going on, and he gets in an argument with one of them. The the bully takes him outside. What happens at that point that really hammers home this idea of developing perseverance?
0: Yeah, I mean they they start kind of attacking him and beating him up, and at the time he's just this relatively slight, short, slim of build, and they just keep beating him up, and he keeps getting back up and is is you know bloodied, (laughs) and he says, "I could do this all day." It's like he won't quit. Right. He's getting pounded, but he just won't quit. I mean, that's just that's just amazing. I mean, is he going to win that battle? It's hard to see how he could pre-serum, but he just won't quit. He just keeps getting back up.
1: The bully from the theater who's who The first time we hear I could do this all day from Steve Rogers, the bully in the theater says to him as he keeps punching him and Steve keeps getting up, you just you just don't know when to give up, do you? And he says and that's when he says, no, I could do this all day. And that is a um, critical thing that we see. Throughout the movie from him, and not just in this movie, throughout that line, if you're familiar with Captain America's art through all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he says it more than once. He actually says it to himself one time when he travels back in time and he gets in a fight with Captain America of several years earlier, who's like trying to beat him up. And he's like, stay down. He's like, I could do this all day. Uh, That, in some ways, as we watch the arc of Steve Rogers, that attitude of I could do this all day even more than the strength and agility he gets from the super soldier serum is, what quali- is one of the things that qualifies him as a hero, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's fascinating how Dr. Erskine chose Steve Rogers. It was this, what fueled his, you know, I could do this all day attitude. He was humble. He hated bullies. He just had this sense of, of righteousness, this desire to defend the defenseless. And Dr. Erskine said, you know, uh, a strong man, somebody who's had all the gifts, is not necessarily going to have your sense of compassion, your sense of caring for others. And so Dr. Erskine chose character first. And really, when you think about what fuels Steve Rogers' perseverance post-serum when his, you know, strong, powerful guy it's because it's not about him. It's about this humble attitude of serving others. You know, it's set in World War II, so it's defeating Nazi Germany. It's He could do this all day because people are counting on him. People are counting on right. him and his team, and he will never quit because quitting would mean letting down the defenseless. He will never let the defenseless right. down. He will always take the bullies on, so really... His character is what fuels his perseverance.
1: Yeah, and that that is such an excellent point. And it's the reason why it's the reason why you're the host of the show and I'm the co-host of the show, because that that's pulling meat out of out of what's going on there. That's exactly right. Never once does Steve Rogers, Captain America, say, I could do this all day just to win a fight. It's always to win a fight that has a purpose at the end of it there's always a grander purpose than just being victorious for him here's now where we're going to trans you know transition from real life r e e l to real life r e a l and we're going to as i was you know kind of preparing for what we were going to how we were going to go about this discussion one of the past guests from our from this podcast popped into my head as a great example of i could do this all day even though she never said those words that way and that guest was lucy westlake uh, a young uh, girl young woman who's 17 at the time we talked to her who we featured in our harnessing resilience uh, series she already holds a world record Uh, she's the youngest female to ever scale the highest peaks in every u.s state think about that she climbed mountains that sometimes stretch more than 20,000 feet into the sky and to do that you've got to have kind of a purpose and a vision and 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 you've got to be able to deal with some setbacks in fact right lucy westlake encountered some some crucibles and some setbacks and she needed to muster in her own way this idea of i could do this all day didn't she
0: absolutely i mean here she is uh you know, designed to climb all the peaks, uh, in you know, in well, the peaks in all fifty states, and you uh, know, one of the hardest is Denali in Alaska. And at age thirteen, mm-hmm. yeah. she uh, 13. went to climb that, and I think with her dad at the time, she didn't make it. You know, the wind was just massive. It was you know, it was a lot tougher you know the weather than um, she had hoped, and. She would not not do it, and it was four years before she was able to successfully climb it, which you know was age seventeen, which was relatively recent. But um, you know, she has this phrase that's, I guess, the equivalent of Steve Rogers. I could do this right. all day, and she says, "Failure is inevitable. How you react to it is what matters." It's like, yeah, that's great. You know, she did not give up. It's like, okay, you're going to fail. Sometimes the weather is horrendous. And what are you going to do? It happens. Try again. Don't give up. Uh, Maybe it will be several years later, but, you know, she was not defeated by that defeat, if you will. It was a temporary setback, not a defining defeat. And she was not going to give up. It's for somebody so young, it is just so. It's so inspiring,
1: right? And again, what she was after was not just personal aggrandizement. She had a a goal, a vision, a mission to to accomplish this this uh, thing, to to prove to herself that she could do it. And so, the takeaway here, listener, from both Steve Rogers, Captain America, and Lucy Westlake, is this idea of perseverance of I could do this all day. This idea that failure is inevitable, how you react to it is what matters. That's what Warwick tries to, you know, he, he, He talks about in his book, Crucible Leadership. It's what this podcast is built around, this idea that failures and setbacks don't define you. They're not the end of your story. They can be the beginning of your story. And Steve Rogers getting beaten up in an alley was the beginning of his story uh, of his life of significance. And Lucy Westlake not getting to the top of Denali at 13 was just a midpoint in her story that has then moved on um, to world record
0: status. Pretty impressive, right? Absolutely. And, you know, while we're speaking of Lucy Westlake, I'm reminded of Lisa Blair. And she was the Australian mm. woman that uh, we had on the podcast who sailed around uh, Antarctica. She wanted to be the first uh, woman to sail around Antarctica and, you know, break the record for the fastest trip around. And what's interesting is she did do that, but she was trying to do it uninterrupted. And at one point, I think a mast fell and. She had to go north out of the lane, so to speak, that was going around uh, you know, Antarctica and head to Cape Town, South Africa for repairs. Uh, and what's interesting is, uh, you know, a few years later, I think it might have been even earlier this year, she finally competed, completed it. And she has this great phrase, right. which is failure is not trying. It's very mm-hmm. similar to Lucy Westlake's failure is inevitable, how you react to it is what matters. It's, it's very similar notions. And what's remarkable about Lisa Blair, is, as she puts it, is she is not particularly tall, not particularly athletic, and this is her perspective. She would say she's an every woman. She'd say, there's nothing special about me. I'm just like any other woman. But what's special about her and what's special about Lucy Westlake is their character, their perseverance. They never say die. They, 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 that's their superpower. You know, it's not it's not physical, or you know any other particular attribute. Uh, you know, physical attribute anyway. It's more internal. It's that sense of never say die. Failure is not trying. You've just got to keep going. It's there's similar stories, but they're you know, they're remarkably um, motivating.
1: And when you say that work, what that triggers in my mind? Go back to the Captain America episode. What impressed you so much? about his fight Captain America's fight with the Red Skull who also had received that serum and it made bad worse it made him evil and he was he was I mean tell the story what was he trying to to get out of out of Captain America about why he had the super you know the super serum too
0: Yeah it's like well you know Red Skull was saying well why you you know you like the strongest the best the smartest the whatever that America has to offer and he said I'm nothing special. There's nothing special about me. I'm just like any guy. And it just floored Red Skull because he was meant to be this super Aryan German who, you know, took it before from Dr. Erskine, you know, uh, back when he was sort of trapped in Germany and just, um, you know, without Dr. Erskine's blessing. He just couldn't understand how the super Aryan guy, of course, I should have it. I'm the best of the best. I'm the best of the best, most German of the Germans. Who's this guy? Some kid who's nothing special. He just couldn't process that from uh, Steve Rogers. Right.
1: Right. So Steve Rogers and Lisa Blair both talk about themselves as just average everyday people. And Lucy Westlake would do the same thing. And that's that's the takeaway here, listener. You can learn this idea of never say die. Failure is only if you don't try. And I could do this all day. That's the takeaway. You're going to hit crucibles, have that attitude, and that will help you become a crucible-busting hero. Point two from our R-E-E-L life uh, that we talked about is find a team of fellow travelers. And uh, you talk about this a lot in Crucible Leadership Warwick, the importance of having a team of advisors who don't just tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And early on in Ironman, uh, when Tony Stark is sort of depicted, his backstory is depicted, Tony Stark doesn't have a whole lot of fellow travelers who are anything more than admirers. Um, there are not a lot of people speaking truth into, into his life, but then he's attacked uh, while demonstrating some of his weapons in afghanistan he's a he's a he's a uh, he 's a weapons manufacturer. Some of his missiles get fired upon where he 's at. He suffers a, a very uh, a traumatic injury and his life is saved while he 's in captivity by another man who 's in captivity. A fellow scientist named Ho Yinsen puts a magnet in his chest to keep the shrapnel from going in his chest. but Ho Yinsen does a lot more than that for Tony. There's a lot more than just save Tony Stark's life. He actually makes it worth saving. How does he do that?
0: Yeah, you know, he saves his life physically, but he saves his life spiritually, emotionally, in a sense he saves his soul. And he does what maybe nobody has done before to Tony Stark. Yeah, you know, if he's in captivity, he's in a a dark, vulnerable place. Maybe he's in a place where he would listen as opposed to before he's, you know, going to parties, drinking, gambling, driving fast cars. It's all about, Hey, I'm making money. I'm making money out of weapons. Who cares? Right. It's all about right. me. He's about, you know, when you think of s- superheroes, it's hard to think of anybody more narcissistic than, than, a, <laughs> than a pre, you know, captivity Tony Stark. He, he gets the gold right. medal for narcissist. I think, you know, Ho Jinsen, who his fellow prisoner says, you know, Basically, you can be more than this. Is this all you're going to be, just making weapons and you know, Mr. Party Guy? It's like, is this what you want your legacy to be? Is this what you want your life to be? You know, you could be so much more than this. You could use your money for so much more. He just really puts a knife in his soul. I mean, yes, he's got this uh, new uh, new heart uh, from technology, but in a sense, not only does he give him a heart transplant. Uh, for the technology, he gives him a soul transplant. He just puts a knife into his soul, and you know it doesn't make Tony Stark a perfect altruistic human being, but he makes a significant change in his character from that from that moment. And he begin he he begins to realize, I'm using all my te- technological engineering brilliance to make weapons. That, you know, in some cases are coming back to kill Americans because it's hard to control where weapons end up. Right. And, you know, maybe I should use technology to save the planet, to make the world a better place. So that fellow traveler, that speaking truth to power, took a lot of courage and it changed his life and in a sense helped redeem his soul.
1: Yeah. And it changed the trajectory of of what he was able to do. In other words, his vision, his vision changed, right? We talk a lot about vision here at Beyond the Crucible and Crucible Leadership. And his vision changed from really having no vision, but living day by day. Ho Yinson says to him at one point You have um, a lot to live with, but nothing to live for. And what he yeah. discovers as he has a team of fellow travelers, and Ho Yinsen being the first one of those, Pepper Potts, his assistant, who he 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 you know kind of loves, but he learns how to love as the movie goes on, and certainly as the arc of of Tony Stark's story throughout all nine movies he appears in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he develops that. But you're absolutely right; he's not perfect. And listener, as you listen to this. My guess is you're not perfect and don't think you're perfect either. I know I'm not perfect. Warwick would say he's not perfect, I think, right?
0: Absolutely. I think I think one of the things what is saying is, you know, it's fine to uh, aspire, maybe not to s- superhero, um, you know, physical attributes, but maybe to have, you know, like the character of uh, Steve Rogers, you know, the perseverance, the humility uh, of him or... You know, as we're talking about Tony Stark, to use your qualifications, uh, your attributes to serve others, but none of us are going to have superhero level characters. You know, there's always its a journey we can aspire, but you know, we're all going to fail. You know, it's not a matter of, you know, to quote uh, Lisa Blair, yeah, we're going to fail in our characters. Fail isn't—it's not failing. It's you know, are you going to get back up and try again? Are you going to keep going? Are you going to let one bad mistake define you? And so that's really the journey of of character is we're never going to be superheroic in character, but we can aspire to keep getting better and moving forward and not letting one bad day define us. And that's one of the reasons why this point, find a a, a team of fellow travelers is so important to us
1: as we move on our journeys is when we feel like we can't go on, when we feel like we're not worthy of going on, those fellow travelers can speak encouragement to us. They can remind us of things that we've done well. They can offer their perspective on maybe some things we should try. And as we talk about this, Warwick, it, it brings to mind for me a key point that we make in uh, and 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 take, you know, get your pens out, listeners, because uh, you'll, you'll want to know more about this. It brings to mind what we're, We're going to debut soon, and that is an e-course called Discover Your Second Act Significance. And it's all about facing that tough question that comes to many of us when we consider our life and career. That question is, is this all there is? When we reach that moment, is this all there is? I, I feel stuck. I feel like uh, life could be more. I, I I feel like I should be doing something different. We all come to that point at some time. This e-course is going to drill down deeply and to help people who who take it learn how to how to do that, how to answer that, is this all there is question. Identify it, answer it, and then chart a course moving forward. Uh, and it will guide you, truly, this course will guide you on a journey of discovery to awaken your passion, to craft a vision rooted in your talents, and unleash a more fulfilling life that leaves a legacy you'll be proud of. More details to come very soon, but you won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. And in that eCourse work, one of the things that you uh, say and you talk at some length about it, is your own fellow traveler's journey of moving beyond your crucible and charting a course to a life of significance, right? A life of significance is a team sport you discovered, right?
0: Absolutely. You know, as as we're doing the e-course and you know, reflecting on this, I think there's really two types of fellow travelers. You want those who uh, encourage you and at times be truth-tellers, you know, uh, we need people who will do both. There are times when we need to be picked up and saying, you know what, your worst day doesn't define you. I believe in you. I'm with you. It could be a spouse, a friend, a co-worker. And it may be, you know what, you're better than that mistake. You kind of left the trail. You know, you left Mm, the mission. Right. And so encouragement and truth, two sides of the same coin. But then there's another type of fellow traveler, which is those who Uh, compliment you. By that, I mean Mm -hmm. that they have attributes and skills that you don't have. Compliment in that sense of the word, Uh, not in terms of flattery. Uh, But uh, (laughs) so, uh, as I was thinking about that, way that could be misunderstood. But uh, anyway, uh, for me, with Crucible Leadership, I am blessed to have a fantastic team. They encourage, they absolutely do truth-telling and says, yeah, I don't know that we should be doing that. And you know, we wrestle with things and uh, figure out a path forward, but they have attributes that I don't have. I'm a reflective person. I like telling stories, my own story and stories of others on this podcast, but I don't like selling. I'm just like phobic about that. You know, some people are scared of heights or, uh, you know, (laughs) I, I just, I can't do the whole selling thing. So we've got people that are great at, at selling, promoting, uh, you know, marketing, branding, production on this podcast. You know, you can't do everything. There's a few things I like to think I'm actually pretty, if not very good at. But there's many things I am both bad at, and just don't like doing. And there, re- there are always reasons. But I think none of us have all the gift and all the experiences to do everything. We just don't. So a smart man or woman realizes their own limitations and their own phobias. We all have them. And say, okay, some of these things I'm going to overcome, some I may not overcome. You're not going to overcome lack of gifting in certain areas. If you're, you know, if you're a good writer and, hey, I want to be a genius at math, probably you won't be. There's a bunch of engineers, mathematically minded people say, I love numbers, this whole word thing. I don't get it. That's that's being right. human. So surround yourself, yes, with people that will encourage and tell you truth, but surround yourself with people with different skills and abilities than you have. And that's what I, I tried to do in inclusive Leadership. And certainly, uh, in a, as you're trying to chart your second act, uh, you got to have a team to be able to help you get there.
1: Right. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why there's Captain America and Spider-Man here on the desk as we're having this conversation, because let's let's circle back to Tony Stark and Iron Man. One of the things that helps him find a life of significance and helps him truly find his calling and helps him truly say, I mean, he couldn't have saved, saved Earth from the things that they, he saved Earth from without the Avengers, right? These guys are Avengers. He knows that. He puts his team of fellow travelers... Goes from Ho Yinson, who's the first one, Pepper Potts, who's always been there for him, but he eventually builds the Avengers, and that is what ends up stopping Thanos, the intergalactic villain in the final Avengers movie that we talked about it was so moving that people posted YouTube clips of it all over the place of the reactions of the crowd. That's the ultimate fellow travelers from this series of lights, camera, crucibles is the Avengers, Right. Without all of them together, they would not have accomplished anything that they've accomplished. So that's a great place, I think, to land the plane on this one. Now, the third point of the five that we're going to talk about here on becoming, on transforming yourself into a crucible busting hero uh, is to uh, live life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. And the example we're going to go from Iron Man to Spider Man right here, Spider Man. Uh, Peter Parker's a brainy high school kid. Um, and he's picked on his label and, and labeled as nerdy by his classmates. But when he's bitten by a radioactive spider during a field trip, he develops the proportional powers of Interacted. The new abilities come with new crucibles for Peter, though. His me-first attitude in the beginning, he's focused on trying to get money, to earn money with his strength to buy a car to impress the girl he secretly loves, and, and that obsession, even short-lived obsession, to make money, to focus on his own advancement, to focus on himself, use his powers for himself, not for a greater good, ends up leading to his beloved Uncle Ben, who raised him like a son after Peter's parents died. It leads to Uncle Ben being murdered. And it's at that point in the story of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, right, Warwick, that he really begins to to learn the lessons, as we say all the time, if you learn the lessons of your crucible, you can move beyond it. That's when that starts for Peter.
0: It really does. Um, sometimes those we love will, will say words to us that we don't really get at the time, but can't, we, become, you know, we come to understand later. And that's what happens with Peter Parker. He's in a car with his Uncle Ben, and his Uncle Ben says, you know, with great power, comes great responsibility. And Peter doesn't process at the time as the time is into, hey, I have these powers now and I'm going to make money, you know, uh, wrestle, you know, it's all about me and I'm going to get enough money to get a car to impress the girl he has a crush on, uh, Mary Jane. And, you know, he's just not thinking of it. And then uh, partly because he just, you know, there's, there's somebody that some bad guy that he could have done, could have helped stop. And it's like, hey, it's not my problem. And that bad guy ends up, you know, uh, killing his beloved Uncle Ben. So then those words, I'm sure, haunt him. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. Because he didn't heed that warning, it leads to his beloved Uncle Ben getting killed by this bad guy. So it it really just transforms his perspective, and he uses his powers to, for others to, um, you know, help Mary Jane at one point but she's being um, captured by the Green Goblin, and you know, uh, takes on the Green Goblin as he as he seeks to kind of wreak havoc on the city of New York. So, those words do transform do transform his life.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is he he becomes a hero because of the crucible that he gets through because of the crucible and the lessons he learns from it and that's what we talk about all the time here on the show is if you learn the lessons of your crucible and you apply them moving forward you can create a new vision for your life and that new vision leads to a life of significance and no one would say at the end of spider-man the first movie with toby mcguire there was there been a bunch of them all of them end up with this young kid picked on who learns a terrible lesson when his uh, when a loved one dies. He learns from this terrible experience a lesson that that he then dedicates his life to serving others, to living on purpose, focusing on serving others. In fact, with in that first Spider-Man movie, there's a he's in love with Mary Jane, and he and he and Mary Jane, Mary Jane says she's in love with him, and they're, they're the stage is set for them to have a life together. And Peter doesn't do it. Why doesn't Peter do it?
0: You know, Peter has taken to heart the advice from Uncle Ben to such a degree that his whole life is about living a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. So his fear is, if he continues a relationship with Mary Jane, and she says at the end of that movie that she loves him, it's very clear that uh, Peter Parker loves her. But he says, "Look, I just want to be uh, friends." And basically, the inner monologue uh, that goes on is his concern that everybody he loves somehow, you know, bad things happen to them. Whether it's you know Aunt May who's terrorized by Green Goblin at one point, or Uncle Ben, he's thinking if I have a relationship with Mary Jane, something bad's going to happen. So he's sac- in this right. movie, he sacrifices his happiness for what he perceives as the greater good. I mean, that to me is the ultimate live a life on purpose dedicating to serving others. Nothing, not even the love of his life will get in the way of serving others. He puts his whole happiness, his whole sense of self uh, on the backbone. It's all about serving others. It's it's one of the most selfless scenes you'll see in any superhero movie. It's just astounding.
1: Yeah. And it's, Again, I hadn't thought about it till you just said that. Cause I've we've said the phrase live a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. I maybe a thousand times, up to a thousand times on this show and in your speaking appearances and those kinds of things. But here but we could edit it, maybe add a phrase in front of it. Live a life on purpose dedicated not to serving yourself only. But serving others—that's what Peter That's where Peter lands. Serving himself would be, I get to be with this girl I love, ah, but she'd be in danger, and my job is to protect people. That's my calling. That's my purpose. And that's what he's walking out and what he's living. That is our our R E E L life example of what it means to um, uh, live life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. Uh, We also had, in a previous series that we did, Warwick, a a guest that, um, it's funny, when we have uh, team meetings from your team uh, of fellow travelers and crucible leadership, her name comes up all the time. She really has made an impact. And and that is Nancy volpe Barringer, who we featured in our series, Second Act Significance. And Nancy was in her late 50s when she let herself not just dream of a career in fashion design, but to pursue it. She explains that the success and security she'd built professionally over several decades didn't fully scratch the creative itch she felt as a young girl who loved to sew. She had a, is this all there is moment while she's living this life that would have led to retirement and everything would have been great. And she was close to retirement. She's in her fifties, her late fifties. But that's when she pursued her passion with a vigor. She earned a master's degree and ended up on season 18 of TV's Project Runway, and that, that even that being on Project Runway was not the true life of significance. That happened in the show; it wasn't the show. What happened to her that truly brought her the purpose of serving others?
0: You know, Project Runway was sort of interesting. I mean, just before we get to that, I just love the whole story of Nancy volpe Berenger. It just, uh, you know, as we'll you know get into with the uh, Discover your Second Act webinar that's coming up. She's a remarkable person because she had this successful career in a uh, New Jersey teachers um, organization. And she had the courage to say, you know, I'm doing great. I'm getting paid well, but what would I do if I was my younger self? And it's like, I'd go into fashion. I mean, to do that in your late 50s is remarkable. There aren't too many folks in their late 50s in fashion design school. You know, that takes courage, but she- And she said she she was the only one there. Right. Yeah, she did it. And so, you know, at a second attempt, she gets on Project Runway. And one of the things they do is that sort of at random, they give you these things, challenges. Well, the challenge she was given was to create uh, fashion uh, for those who had uh, disabilities. You know, so it could be, you know, paraplegic, quadriplegics, people that you know, lost limbs. Now, her fellow competitors, they were breathing a sigh of relief, dodged a bullet. Phew, I'm glad I didn't get that one, because that would be tough. Right,
1: right. But
0: it just shows Nancy Volpe and Behren's character. She was like, yay, this is awesome. I'm so glad I got that. And so, yes, right. she d- designs, you know, uh, high fashion couture for in a, a, a lot of different folks, but she has a special design passion to design fashion for those who were disabled and haven't historically had access to fashion. So that just shows her sense of passion to serve others. It's not just about her own fame and fortune. Oh, look at me, I'm a top fashion designer. She's focused on helping others. And just that, that moment at Project Runway when she was filled with know, uh, elation and glee and her competitors were filled with relief that that they didn't get that one tells you everything you need to know about why Nancy Vol- Volpe Beringer is a very special person
1: yeah and and those are her life is an, is a great example of the the mile markers if you will of what the the, the path to a life of significance can look like cuz she started out is this all there is? got a job, paying the bills, she's successful, she could retire, but there was an itch that was not getting scratched. And then she goes through that process, she takes a shot, learns some lessons from what doesn't make her feel alive, come alive. She, she applies those lessons, she casts a vision, she pursues it, it's not easy, she fights through it, and then in the end, she is right, living a life of significance. She's gone from, is this all there is, to, wow, this is all I want. That is a remarkable arc. And that's the thing that we're trying, that you're trying to encourage people through the work of Crucible Leadership, through what we're doing on this podcast and what we're gonna be doing in this e-course, right? That's that's the goal that, that you have for people. Is this all there is? From is this all there is to this is all I want. That seems fair.
0: That's incredibly well said, Gary. I mean, from this, is this all there is that this is all I want? This is all I want means I'm serving a higher purpose. Right. I'm serving others. And it's filling me with so much joy. Mm. I have all, you know, I have more joy than I could ever, and fulfillment than I could ever possibly imagine. We all want joy and fulfillment. That comes from a higher purpose. That comes from serving others. Uh, Certainly true for Nancy Volpe-Berenger. And it's pretty much, I would say, true for every hero we've covered in this series. It's not about them. It's about serving some greater goal, some greater good. And that's why we love these heroes and heroic figures so much.
1: Ah, but here's the rub. That journey isn't always a straight line, right? It is not always a straight line. It was not always a straight line for the heroes that we talked about. And that's point four in our five ways to transform into a crucible-busting hero. Point four is when the, the, the road gets crooked a little bit. And that is, do not lose sight of your mission or the values that undergird that mission. And the example of that that we want to talk about here is in the natural. Roy Hobbs, right, the otherworldly talented baseball player whose aspirations to be the best who ever played this game are sidetracked, frankly, when he's shot as a teenager by a woman he didn't recognize as a threat. He beats the odds, finds his way back to the majors many years later to become the era's top player, even as an unscrupulous owner and this wily, shady gambler try to pull him down. He gets there. It wasn't a straight line to get there, but after he's there, it also gets to become a little crooked line. Roy has, I don't know, it, if you'd call it, he, he he falls back into some bad habits. He he his, his blind spots still show up. There's something that happens to Roy Hobbs even after he's achieved success on the baseball field when he finally got there that keeps him for a while from his life of significance, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, in some sense, Roy Hobbes is a troubled soul. There's a, a phrase the ancient Greeks used, you know, who the gods were to first curse, they first ra- ra- raise up. Sometimes, you know, when you're a young baseball player, in this case, and he believes he could be the best there ever was, and that's no idle boast. His ability to uh, right. pitch and bat was as good, maybe better than anybody. He's not a Steve he Rogers. He struck out
1: the Babe Ruth character, right? right. He struck exactly. out the yeah.
0: Exactly. Steve Rogers doesn't grow up thinking, I could be the best there ever was. And me? No, I'm like, you know, short and <laughs> right? sleight of build. He's not thinking that, but uh, Roy Hobbs is. And so then when he gets kind of seduced by this, uh, you know, dark angel, if you will, and Harriet Bird, who, uh, who shoots him in a hotel room, and that wound to the stomach basically torpedoes his career for, for years, and he comes back a lot older, you, you know. And yet, that lesson of be careful who you associate with, he doesn't really quite learn that. And right. you know, right. along comes you know this gambler's uh, mole, uh, Memo Paris, and you know she just again seduces him. And when he's with her, his batting average goes for the floor. She's just like right. a, a you know a, a one-person wrecking ball to his baseball game. <laughs> you know, it's right. you know talk about. Back to Greek, killer Achilles. He is uh, his Achilles heel, if you will. You know, right? Yep. Um, but you know, there's this. What I love about uh, the natural, there is a, a you know, like in Star Wars, if you will. Uh, there's a battle between good and evil, between the dark angel and an angel of light, and the girl he knew mm-hmm. way back when, when he grew up, you know, in the cornfields, was Iris. You know, variety of reasons they get to meet up. And in one game where he's in his slump, she stands up and she's she has this beautiful white dress and it's illuminated by the light, and she does look angelic. You know, she inspires him to be better. There's a great scene when he's in hospital after being you know poisoned by some bad guys, and he says to her, you know, gosh, you know, to Iris, you know, I could have been the best there ever was. I mean, I just. You know, I could have walked down the street of my town and like, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. And she says, well, and, and then what, you know, is basically, is this all there is, you know, in right. not so many words. And, you know, she says, you know, Roy, you're so good now. Look how you inspire young people, young boys. You're an inspiration. So she helps him realize there's more to life than just being a great baseball player, As being a great person, being an inspiration to future generations of athletes, of baseball players. And so eventually, good does win out, uh, as it should in all good movies. And uh, the angel of light uh, overpowers the dark angel. It's a great movie. But to your point, life is not often smooth. And he is very gifted. But he he has challenges with his course. He gets sidetracked and pop by his own inner demons and his own mistakes.
1: Yeah, and I love what you just said about um, the way that Iris reacts to him wanting to be the best there ever was in this game. And one of the things we did in the first episode, in the episode where we talked about the Naturals, I I, I have a, a prop card that had his statistics on the back that weren't shared in the movie, and he was like, his home runs per at bat were better than Babe Ruth. He had enormous success, but you use that phrase. She was telling him basically, "Is this all there is? Is success all there is, right?" Um, and 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 that can be true too. Sometimes that itch that says, "Is this all there is?" isn't born out of out of being in a a place where you can't pay the bills or in a place where you have financial struggles. Sometimes that place, "Is this all there is?" is born of you got a lot of money, Tony Stark. You've got a lot of accolades, Roy Hobbs. You can get to that place and it can look different for different people. And one of the people who we talked to on the podcast who exemplifies some of this point, this idea of not getting, you know, keeping your eyes on your mission was Hank McClarty, um, who was a guest we had uh, gracious. I think When I looked this up, work it was almost two years ago when we talked to Hank. It's hard to believe. Hmm. Um, But he was, in his own words, an intense goal setter from the third grade. And he achieved most of what he set his mind to, like Roy Hobbs once he got, right? Very much like Roy Hobbs. Um, he got a scholarship to Auburn. Hank McClarty did. He got a fi- he uh, got, built a financial services career at prestigious firms, got recognition and wealth as one of the youngest and best in his industry. But then something happened that got him sidetracked, got him off his mission. What was that?
0: It's very similar to Roy Hobbs. He was drinking mm-hmm. the Hank Kool Aid, as he puts it. He was hitting the numbers out of the park as a financial advisor. He was doing fantastic. And somebody said to him, hey, why don't you jump ship? Come to my firm. I'll you know, make you a partner. he will throw all sorts of stuff at him, but he couldn't resist. Well, no sooner than he joined the firm, uh, I think the company went under before he almost joined right, it. But before he could but, start. Right. Yeah. But he burned all these bridges. You know, uh, at the previous firm, yeah, I'm leaving, and I'm, you know, and so he was at a point where uh, he threw everything he had into this new firm. It went bust, and so he was humiliated. At one point, he was living in a hotel for, uh, I think, a couple of years with his two boys, just requiring the free breakfast at the hotel to get by. He was humiliated. You know, this successful guy that was, you know. Young, uh, you know, the golden boy, you know, he'd lost his cape. It was pretty, it was, it was tarnished, you know? I think there was an episode right. of the Spider Man uh, franchise when he gets like covered in some black goo and he becomes, you know, not the, not the Spider Man we know and love. There was a bit of a war for his soul. Well, it was a bit like Hank McClarty here. You know, he got some mm-hmm. black stuff on him and he was, uh, he was not <laughs> the person he wanted to be. But so he really had to dig down deep and say, you know, what kind of person do you want to be for his boys, for his family? And so he did recast his vision from success to significance. So the company has now Gratis Capital. Yes, absolutely. It's focused on helping uh, its its, um, clients in this financial advisory firm be successful. But he's got these principles of gratitude and humility. He no longer sees himself as the golden boy, as you know, almost like Wayne Gretzky, you know, the great one. He doesn't really right. view himself that way anymore. He has this humility to focus on others, listen to his team, and he really wants it to be a place where his team loves to work. It's not just about him. He wants to serve clients, but he wants to serve his fellow co-workers. So uh, he was really transformed by that uh, crucible, if you will to focus more on others and really dig deep out to what values do I really believe? Uh, So he's a great great example of digging down deep and focusing on your values.
1: Yeah, and that is the key part I want to emphasize for the listener here is that you call it all the time, Warwick, mission drift. I hear you say it all the time when we talk to beware of mission drift, of losing sight of your North Star as you're traveling. Roy Hobbs did it. um, Hank McClarty did it. The good news, you can find your way back. Um, uh, Just, you know, Hank's Hank's kids helped him do that. Um, In the natural, Iris helped Roy Hobbs do that. Again, the importance of fellow travelers, the importance of those people who will support, encourage, goad, exhort, sometimes correct you. That is critical to continuing to walk on this road to a life of significance, especially when there are detours to it. All right, we're to point five in the five ways to transform into a crucible-busting hero, and this is this is my favorite one, I think, probably because I'm a little goofy myself. And um, uh, the guy that we're going to talk about here in this point is keep your sense of humor. It's important through all of this to keep your sense of humor. We've all heard the phrase, "Laughter is the best medicine." This is true even and especially when the sickness we're fighting is moving beyond a crucible. In Die Hard, John McClane is a cop who finds himself doing battle all by himself with a group of terrorists that sees the office building where his wife, Holly, works. And, but even as life threatening crucibles pile up, and we talked about this in the episode, I mean, it's like a tennis machine firing balls at John McClain all the time crucible, 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 crucible. Even as those things piled up, he never takes himself too seriously, does
0: he? No, he doesn't. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. It's a wonderful movie. You know, he is in this crazy situation that. He's going out to uh, Los Angeles. He's kind of uh, separated. It would seem like from his wife, Holly. He's a New York cop. He's going out to L.A., and he's just going for Christmas. And he's going to this Christmas party at Nakatomi Plaza in L.A. And he's not thinking he's going to be fighting bad guys. He's not. He's not thinking as as cops say, "I'm on the job." He's like, no. And all these things keep happening, and he's like seriously, you know, uh, like he's, um, you know, in, in, in one scene, he uh navigating himself uh, with a, you know, Zippo lighter in these air ducts. <laughs> and he kind of quips, you know, uh, thinking of Holly as, as his wife, as she says to him, come out to the coast, you know, we'll get together, we'll have a few laughs, and instead of laughing right, and right. grimacing. And, you know, he's got no shoes on, he's getting shot at, and he's sweating and it's like, you know, in this claustrophobic air vent. And, uh, you know, later on, he, uh, you know, he takes on, you know, Hans, this terrorist guy with his, um, you know, gang of uh, bad guys who were holding hostages. And, uh, you know, he gets, he takes one of the bad guys out, uh, you know, plops him, I think on a chair, goes down an elevator, and, you know, when the elevator opens on the shirt, it says, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. It's like, <laughs> right? you know, he just has this, uh, he tried to keep a sense of humor, which I think one of the point, points that we need reason, uh, the reason we're raising this is when everything is falling apart around you, sometimes laughing helps clear your head and, and keeps your focus. Because if John McClane doesn't keep his focus, people are going to die, you know? The right. terrorists could well take out um, the you know, the, the innocent hostages. So, you know, by laughing, it just cleans his head and helps him keep going on. And he certainly needs a lot of perseverance, but there are some incredibly funny lines, but it's humor for a purpose.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't laugh in those situations, right? Going through crucibles, we don't laugh because what we're going through is funny but because it helps stabilize our spirits to meet the challenges, emotional and otherwise, that we'll encounter on our path to significance. And we're all going to be faced with those moments. Things that can be upsetting, tragic, again, on that path, even when the path doesn't go completely crooked in some cases, on that path, you can have bad days. On that path, you can have bad outcomes. Keeping as light an attitude as you can keep through it helps you get through it. And the example, I'm going to tell an example from my own life just from last year. Um, you know, I've always tried to live by that principle, right? A- am I always Mr. Chuckles? No. Um, can I get depressed? You bet. Do I have a temper sometimes? If Anybody else in the house here were home right now, I would bring them out to testify. Yes, I can. (laughs) They they would testify to that. But I also endeavor to find humor to take the edge off of painful, frustrating, challenging situations and circumstances. Again, not because they're funny, but because it lets the air out of the tension that builds out of the pain that builds sometimes. And the example I'm I'm going to use, uh, my dad died last year at age 93, and I delivered his eulogy. Um, and I titled it, 93 Things I Want You to Know About My Dad. And it is brimming with loving recollections of the things he taught me and my siblings and the love and security he provided us with. But I also found some humor in going through some things. Among those 93 points, I'll just give a couple. The the second one was, I started out funny. The second one was, he cheated at solitaire. Wait, I'm a public relations professional. Let me frame that properly. He played solitaire by alternate rules. That was one. (laughs) One was uh, that he himself had a sly and relentless sense of humor. When my sister, uh, Dale, was battling cancer a decade or so ago, Dean, my brother, got lost driving to the hospital in Milwaukee. He did not want to hear any jokes about it. He made clear when he got there. But dad could not resist. When the three of us got on the elevator to go get some food, very somber, our, his, my dad's daughter, my brother and I's sister is battling cancer quiet moment my dad says very softly and simply when we got on the elevator he asks dean need some help finding which button to push (laughs) because (laughs) dean had gotten lost he was mad nobody make fun of me that i got lost dad couldn't help break (laughs) the tension and the pain and the worry we all had with a joke just like i couldn't help telling that story when I was eulogizing my father in the midst of all the things that he did uh, that were wonderful. Just an, that's an example of what I was going through wasn't funny. What we were going through on that elevator wasn't funny. But you, you, you keep your sense of humor so you can keep your sanity, if you will. You can keep your focus, if you will. And Warwick, I know you have, uh, through your own crucible, I've heard you uh, do the same when you've talked about that. Not for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, growing up in a large family media business, um, something about money attracts betrayal, you know, as a light attracts, I don't know, moss or something. Uh, so there was a time back in my, you know, takeover days, as listeners would know, my $2.25 billion takeover in 1987, there were times in which I almost felt like I had a, um, you know, a sign on my back that said, uh, betray me. It's like in middle school. So, yep. you know, people with, you know, advisors, different folks with, you know, let me down. And, you know, I've had, you know, family members, friends. And I would just almost grimace and smile and say to myself, Hey, you know, I, I just, you know, X person, I just forgave you for the last thing you did. Can you just give me a break? I can't catch up. I mean, come on, really? I mean, just, can you just, dole out the betrayal or the terrible things (laughs) one at a time, give me a few weeks, few months, but okay, don't do it more than one at a time. Just come on. I mean, you know, give me a break. So just the sense of, I must've had a, you know, a a note pinned on my back saying, betray me. And can you just, you know, uh, you know, give me a moment I'm trying to catch up. So uh, I would use that to sort of uh, grimace and you know, grin to myself, like, seriously, come on. So by kind of like, I wouldn't say making light of it, but maybe having a wry smile or smirk about it. Yeah. Uh, frankly, a little bit uh, like John McClane, he has plenty of wry smiles and smirks as he's going through things. So right. maybe channeling, a, am not John McClane, but channeling a, a little bit of John McClane, that wry smile as I was going through my own crucibles.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna uh, let you sort of uh, have the last word, but I have to tell a story now about my own uh, sign hung on my back when I was in, gosh, junior high school. Okay, I was a, I was a bit of a of a heavy kid in junior high school. So, and it is funny. I'm laughing about it right now because it's creative <laughs> and funny. Somebody hung a sign on my back that said "Kick Me." Right, the old kick me sign. Right, but this was a creative kid. It said, "Kick me, I'm fat and won't feel it." Oh no! <laughs> which was, which was, you know, it was. Yeah, was it, was it terrible? Yes, but was it creative? And could I find something in that that kept me from, I don't know if it kept me from crying, but kept me from, from like just giving up, putting my head under the cover to, and pulling them up. I found something. I met what was brought to me with a spirit of of I could do this all day I can get through this <laughs> uh, failure uh, is not an option as we go forward so um uh- Warrick, is we we've talked about a lot here. We've talked about R-E-E-L life from our series Lights Camera Crucibles and how you can become a crucible busting hero. Uh, we've talked from R E A R-E-A-L life, real life, some of the guests we've had on the podcast, some of our own stories. What is, you know, you I love how you end most of our episodes with guests when you say, What's a message of hope based on the conversation we've just had? for listeners. So I'll ask you that question. What's your message of hope that you have for listeners as we wrap up this series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles?
0: You know, I think it's easy as you look at superheroes and heroic fi- heroic figures to think, I'm not Spider-Man. I'm not Roy Hobbs. I'm not, you know, Robin Long- Longstride and uh, Robin Hood, who, you know, in the movie helps um, take on Prince John, defeat the French. I'm not any of these people. I'm just a regular guy, you know, a regular woman. I'm just, you know, how can I relate to this? What what does it all mean for me? I think it's really through these different folks, it's not so much the greatness of their superpowers or their great deeds. It's the greatness of their character. It's Mm. their humility. Mm. It's, you know, learning to overcome your mistakes, you know, or Roy Hobbs learning to overcome your your inner demons, uh, if you're uh, Tony Stark, learning it's not all about you, it's about others. You know, it's uh, it's you know uh, P- Peter Parker realizing it's not about me, it's about it's about serving uh, you know a, a wider uh, you know a wider purpose about humanity. It's Steve Rogers, I can do this all day, and it's not about me. It's you know, it's defending the defenseless against bullies. I think all of us can learn these character lessons about perseverance and humility and purpose and serving others and values and not letting one mistake define us. Of failure, you know, is is not trying, you know, failure, we all fail, you just get up and try again. So all of us, whether it's at home, with our families and our businesses, in, you know, uh, whether we lead, uh, as we often say, from, you know, uh, the boardroom to the living room, wherever we are, we can all learn uh, lessons, character lessons from uh, these heroic figures. They're very, uh, they're very applicable. It's easy to think, oh, that's not me, but take your eye a little bit off the superpowers and look at the heroic uh, examples of character that each of these folks showed that we've been discussing. We can all learn how to be a bit more heroic in our character and how we live our lives.
1: That is the perfect ending where I normally would say, the plane's on the ground. The captain's put the plane on the ground. But because we're talking about superheroes, I'm going to say Nick Fury has ordered the Quinjet The Avengers Quinjet to land, and it has indeed landed. (laughs) Like we like to do when we do these kind of wrap-up episodes, and certainly dialogue episodes with just me and you, Warwick, I want to leave listeners with uh, a few uh, reflection questions um, to look at, to, to ponder as they take your very excellent words that you just wrapped up with um, and they move forward. Um, Our hope here is that the episode doesn't end when I say a life of significance in a few minutes. Uh, The episode will continue on as you ponder these questions and ponder some of the points that we've raised here today. So reflection question number one is, how would you rate your perseverance skills? What can you do to be even better at meeting challenges with an I could do this all day attitude? That's one. Second point of reflection to ponder, how do you deal with distractions that threaten to pull you away from pursuing your vision? When the, the Roy Hobbs distractions come up, the Hank McClarty distractions come up, how do you deal with those things? And then maybe how can you deal with them better if you don't deal with them so well? And then the third point, in what ways can you bring a humorous perspective to your crucible? Remember critical. it's not about making light of what you're going through but lightening the load of its impact on you And this is not a question of reflection but I am going to pose this question to you listener before we sign off and that is go back to the beginning of this episode. you heard that that clip play from the DC Films uh, superhero movies about how the world needs heroes. Do you remember the last line? in there, the very last line in that, when all these heroes are shown doing their thing, talking about why they're heroes and how they do it, the last line was, are you in? So ask yourself that question. All the things that we've talked about here, about about pursuing a life of significance, overcoming your crucible, and pursuing a life of significance, are you in? If you're in, stay tuned. In the weeks to come, we'll have more to say about our e-course, which will help you get in, which will help you navigate your way to finding, to discovering your second act significance. So until the next time we are together, listeners, thank you for spending not just this time with us today, but all now nine episodes. Hopefully you've spent If you haven't spent all nine episodes of Lights, Camera, Crucibles with us, guess what? Good news. They're all at crucibleleadership.com. You can go find them there. So we will be back soon. And until that happens, please remember that we understand that your crucibles are difficult. We understand that they can knock the wind out of your sails and change the trajectory of your life. But we also understand, we also know from our own experiences and from the experiences of the guests we talked to on this podcast and the heroes that we've discussed on this podcast, that you can get your life back on a course dedicated to serving others leading toward something that allows you um, to get rid of that feeling of, is this all there is? There is hope to move beyond your crucible. And that is casting a vision that you're truly passionate about and recognizing that your crucible is not the end of your story. In fact, it can be the beginning of your story as it was for every hero we talked about. Because when you learn the lessons of that crucible or those crucibles, like John McClane, The destination that they can lead you to is the destination they led all of our heroes to, and that is a life of significance.